Hello again everybody and welcome to another edition of the podcast Seeking Happiness. I hope you've had a really great week, a real positive week and you've been using some of the information that you've found out or that you've listened to on our podcast and you've used it in a positive way and it's making some really good changes for your life. You're being inspired by these people that we're interviewing and listening to. Real, real people with real problems that have overcome real problems that are showing you some insights into how you can change your life that it is possible for us all to be to be different to make a change a real positive change in our lives so today we're going to be talking to a lovely lady called Jane Considine I feel very honored and very privileged that Jane agreed to do this interview Jane is an author and education consultant, so obviously with me being a teacher or a former teacher, it was of great interest to me. Um, Jane really energises and inspires thousands of teachers every year, and she helps them to transform the teaching of reading, writing and spelling, primarily in the primary education uh, phase. And she's also been an author, so Jane has authored two best-selling books, one's called Hooked on Books, And the other one's called, I think this is a brilliant title, it's called The Right Stuff, W-R-I-T-E, The Right Stuff. Um, And they've sold thousands of copies all over the world. And she has some really good insights into into education and how to help your, your children perform better. And I think some good insights into how you can make positive changes for yourself, even as an adult how you can, you can go about making changes, um, especially when you start listening to how she set up her business and during the COVID crisis, how she transformed that business to an online business. So without further ado, please listen to myself and Didier as we, we interview Jane and listen closely to the advice that she gives. Okay, so welcome to another edition of Seeking Happiness. We've got Didier Soulier here with us again from France. Hey, Dids. Hi, Andy. How are you? Yeah, I'm good today. I'm good. Uh, England are still in the Euro Euro Championship, so I don't think France are, are they? They're not, but uh, I believe England's going to win it this time. Brilliant. That's what I want to hear. Okay, so today we're going to be talking to... Jane Considine, who is uh, an educational specialist, um, and uh, she has a lot of experience in teaching education and finding her own sense of happiness, I guess, Um, and hopefully she's going to be able to help us all to understand a little bit more about education and teaching and how we can make some changes to our own personal lives. So uh, are you there, Jane? Yes, I'm here. I'm delighted to be here, actually. Um, I don't know how happy I feel yet, but we'll, we'll give it a go. Hi, Jane. Yeah, we'll give, Hi, it, a go. We'll give it a go together. And... Great. We'll give it a go together and see what we can do. Uh, so I'm going to just start off, Jane, by asking you to, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey into education and what what that's... Uh, entailed as you've you've moved through different uh periods and different sections of education 
Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it's it's been a long journey, actually, you know, um, well over 20 years. And um, the truth is, Andy, actually, it's no secret um, that I did all I could initially actually not to go into teaching and not to go into education because, you know, my mum was a teacher, my auntie was a teacher, my great aunts were teachers. And I really had seen it on the other side and it had kind of um, that sort of blurring of work life and home life and that sort of never ending and just you know, when you're in teaching, and, and I think only teachers can really understand this, it's the kind of half past six gloom of a Sunday where you know uh, work is imminent, but you can't just rock up on a Monday unprepared. There is so much planning and thought required that that is your home life. And it's, you know, you on a kitchen table screaming at you know somebody to do the washing up um because you've got to get on with this enormous amount of work this actual job list that doesn't end and and sort of growing up with that you know and, and it wasn't just that you know um I think once you're a teacher you know you're a hoarder you know my mum would, would have me washing out ice cream tubs with plastic tubs with lids on because we're going to sharpen the pencils and bring them in and sort things out and you know there's like plastic bags of pine cones and you you go to the supermarket and you you buy six types of pasta shapes because because of the beach collage you know it's it's just this crazy sort of blurring of collection of stuff and thinking and this kind of I remember often saying to my mum, are you listening? And, and she'd say, yes, but I'm also planning. And, and you know, she'd glaze over and, and she'd be thinking about uh, things that she wanted to do next week because it's all consuming teaching. And um, so the truth is, Andy, I resisted it and thought I'm not doing it. I'm going to the anti you know the absolute opposite you know I'm going to go completely the other way and kind of moved after my A-levels to what I thought was the most glitzy and glamorous thing I could do which was to work in retail because it's just like this is good like there's going to be makeup and labels and you know unboxing and merchandising this is surely sexier than teaching and and that's what I did do uh but they put me in the training department which <laughs> it kind of just actually you know I was a I was a teacher in retail really and it was that moment uh that and it it, it is realizing that actually when you work with people and they get that sort of moment of moving from not knowing something to knowing something and then onto deeply understanding something. There's, there's no greater feeling than that to, to know that you've kind of facilitated that. And it yeah. was, it was being in Rackham's in Birmingham 
you know, uh, in the training department. That I just thought, actually, uh, this this is what I want to do, and and that's where it started. That's brilliant. Um, um, I I can identify. It's not where it ended. What you said. <laughs> I think I mentioned. <laughs> I I mentioned on a previous podcast that uh, that I was also a teacher. Um, so I, I really do identify with what you're saying. And you, you mentioned, you used that word training, you know, that you were training people when you were at Rackham's. And do you think that influenced you to, to call your, your educational enterprise the training space? I don't know. I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting, really, because for me, it was, it was always like a, a play on the word space more than the training idea, but that actually it can be, uh, a geographical space but it can be a, a mental yeah. space yeah. and actually that's Good. that's what learning's about isn't it it's about um you know yeah. <laughs> activating hard thinking and, and once it's activated within your mind you know how you're going to file it how you're going to organize it you know how are you how are we going to stretch not just our thinking but once you're a trainer how are you going to push others to uh, unlock the edge of their thinking. Um, and for me, uh, you know, it started over 20 years ago, you know, from being kind of a trainer uh, at House of Fraser. But when I trained to be a teacher and then I taught in Birmingham, um, I, um, I got offered this really swanky job um, in an era in education when there was suddenly um, under a Labour government tons of money pumped into education and this was really kind of a golden age in teaching uh, where there was a true yes. commitment uh, to truly give quality um, continuing professional development to teachers and I was recruited as part of that enormous national change management program you know and we were working uh, with teachers to uh, upskill them on things like phonics grammar um, and you know all manner of um, kind of developing early writing and intervention um, ideas to kind of um, close the gap between groups of pupils who weren't reaching their potential. And this was, this rollout was, was huge. Um, and then actually it started, I could feel the job turning more into kind of a wider remit. Um, and that's, and that's probably when I was, I can't, how can I put this? When I was placed in that really entrusted position to get excited about English that for me was the perfect job you know if you want to talk about subordinating clauses you found your woman I get so excited about language but but the job started <laughs> widening to be more about the standards agenda and I got scooped up and trained as an Ofsted inspector and I, but it all sort of got a little bit uh, a little bit more gnarly, a little uh, kind of had a different sort of mode to it. And I just 
at that point, um, and this was in the year 2006, I, I wanted to keep talking about English and words and writing because that was my love. And I knew if I wanted to keep doing that, I had to go it alone. You know, I had to break free because actually um, you kind of, ref it's only now I reflect back, you know, when you're working for the National Literacy Strategy, you're essentially a mouthpiece for the Department for Education. And there is, you know, within that, there were so many positive things that were happening that were really important and powerful, but there were other aspects um, that, you know, I was becoming a little bit uncomfortable with. So I knew I wanted to keep talking about like the really smallest parts of being a good teacher, because I actually think uh, to become from good to outstanding, it's a real small slither, Andy, and, and your history into teaching, you'll know that, you know, when that sort yeah. of magic yeah. happens, it's it's not, the difference is, is not a lot. And it's those little ant-like moments, those really kind of the devil's in the detail bits. I wanted to, to diagnose them, sort of say, well, why is that teacher good? And why is that teacher outstanding? Do you know what? It's a slither. What is yeah. that slither? And, and that, that, that led you on to, to start thinking yeah. about, about yeah. doing your own sort of education consultancy role, didn't it? Yeah, you yeah. You started to get out of teaching, and, but you wanted to stay in education. Yeah. And, um, yeah, absolutely. And um, it kind of, it, it then, it, it was strange, really. My job became um, very much about, teaching and learning you know so I became one of the few consultants who would roll up their sleeves and say this is what I mean this is what I mean in your school in your school situation that this I'm now going to uh, go into a school in Peckham or a school in Scotland or a school in Devon and let's look at how we can kind of uh, sharpen those moments that um, really kind of uh, are, will be the game-changing moments, the, the difference makers, I suppose the best bets. And it and you really are talking about very little interactions here, but that's where the that's where the work for me became most fascinating. In it's many fantastic, ways. and that that really reflects how keen you were to stay in education and you know, to share, share everything that you'd learned along your, your personal journey. Um, so I think, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And you, you, you did do a lot of traveling, didn't you? You went all up and down the UK and visited a lot of schools. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, my life on the road, uh, you know, it, it, from 2006 till um, COVID hit, it, it was, exhausting you know like my Monday to Friday would literally start in Cumbria and work down the country you know till you ended up in Cornwall and everything in between and you, you were like a teaching rock and roll star <laughs> <laughs> listen there weren't a lot of rocket there weren't you know 
there, there, there weren't any perks of the job, put it that way. You know, the most exciting thing was a latte at uh, Watford Gap. You know, that's how rock and roll it got. Yeah. <laughs> and you, um... no, don't try and make it better than it was. Yeah, it was it. But do you know what? I didn't really realise um, till you stop. Um, I think it was making me a little bit sick. It, it was it was making me poorly. You know, yeah. you're just on the road. Um, you know, you, you're sort of almost too familiar with uh, service stations. You know, what I don't know about where you get your Percy pigs and all of that. Um, and yeah. it's it it's only when I stopped. Um, you, were living, you were living the Jack Kerouac novel. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was bad vibes actually, but what was interesting is that I I didn't know how I didn't know anything else. I didn't know how to stop. In fact, uh, you wait till I wait till I get my hands on him, Andy. I blame Joe Wicks. Do you know Joe what I mean? Wicks. Because I do yeah. blame him because what happened was COVID struck and then. He's, he was doing, I don't know what he does, prancer size. You know, there's some spider lunges, isn't there? There's some hot sweating. He was doing some hot sweating in his front room. I've, I've um, done it myself with him. I've done some hot sweating with Joe Wicks. Uh, that, no, nothing rude supposed to be uh, intended there, but yeah, I've done that exercise with him. Uh, can, you, can you elaborate? Who is this John Wicks? What? Not John, Joe Wicks. You Joe do Wicks. not know Joe Wicks. No, oh. oh, this guy, this the, the, the calf muscles, the, the curly hair, the, the looks. I mean, the only thing that disappoints me about Joe Wicks is that I actually wanted him to wear leg warmers. And that was the bit I just felt a bit disappointed. But uh, yeah, he's an exercise guru All who... Right. When COVID struck and children were self-isolating, he provided the kind of exercise and PE provision for the nation. And I was like, well, he's doing all the stuff for the body. Who is looking after the brain? So I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to rock up um, and I'll teach the kids because um, this was my life anyway. You know, I'll help the children do their English writing lessons. And of course, um, that's not as glamorous as PE, is it? Oh, look, this we've got all these lovely gyrating exercises. It's really good fun, loads of jokes. Then come and see Mrs. C and I'll teach you how to write a sentence. It doesn't really have the same appeal. And actually, I didn't think anybody would turn up at all. Um, but... Andy, they did. The kids just kept coming. Yeah. The word grew and grew. And then suddenly um, it was not just children who were asking me advice about how to be the very best they could at uh, being writers. Then this whole teaching community who knew me anyway, but actually it was like, well, can you help us? Can you help us be better teachers of writing? And then in COVID, there were these two distinct communities, kind of day Mrs. C, 
who was talking to children and teaching children and then this sort of inebriated a little bit more real honest yeah let's talk about this let's talk about this atomized small stuff let's get to some nitty gritty and um it, it, it was just wonderful but it was really funny because when we started working with the children um I've I was really nervous about that I did not mind talking to, I could talk to teachers for hours but actually talking to children uh, about you know this was like an enormous global classroom I felt I needed some help and the person I chose actually was um Grandma Fantastic and Grandma Fantastic uh, essentially is a puppet and but she I know but she really was um, a catcher of all the women I admired um, and particularly I would say probably my own grandmother who was uh, Irish Dimpner a very Irish name that isn't it and uh, she had a real vim for life a real zest for life and um, and grandma fantastic became a little bit of her you know a little bit you know uh push at the edges of the world try and shake it up a bit a little bit naughty uh and grandma came to the classes just so that I had somebody to talk to because it's quite lonely um in a classroom as a teacher and you know grandma became uh you know the yin to my yang I think sometimes she was a little bit drunk but you know, we it's a bit awkward. But what grandma sometimes it takes a, a, li a little drink to be a good teacher, I think. It's the Irish way, is it? Take the edge off. Yeah, it's the Irish way, did you, you, you you're you, the French way is more drinking wine, isn't it? Yeah. You're more cultured. Yeah. We're more uh we're more hard whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> But we, we created this beautiful synergy and actually she kept me going. Um, and what it taught me actually was by standing still, actually by, by coming off the M25, just actually being still and concentrating on the teaching community and the children around the country, I, I actually... I could mobilize a message further. I could, I could communicate with more people. And um, yeah, I, I actually think it, it has made me happier because that slowing down has meant, I do really weird things now, like um, uh, I've got two dogs called Honey and Marty, who I would move around my life of getting out the house getting back in with just like trying to navigate that the dogs don't escape or sort the dogs out or chuck some water on the floor for them in a bowl where actually now I stroke my dogs which I know sounds weird but that requires a bit of you have to be in the house to do that I, I mean I've caught myself looking at a, a peppermint tea bag floating in a herbal drink because actually I have no slow time 
I can even now, Andy, would you believe, I can have a day argument. Do you know how lovely it is to have, like, you can get so angry and the kids are at school and you can say exactly what you want. And you know what I mean? That can go on for two hours and you can still get a good night's sleep. I mean, like day arguing is probably <laughs> the best thing that's come out of not being on the road. It's, it's wonderful. So Jane, the uh, the COVID actually was a blessing in disguise for you then. Oh, what? what oh, sorry, did. Sorry, yeah, Jane. COVID. What I mean, COVID for me personally was a real blessing in disguise because it solved a problem yeah. for me, a problem that I didn't think I could solve. You know, when your work is go and work in that classroom with those children. I couldn't see how it couldn't be me driving. And so what COVID did for me is train everybody on how to use technology to talk more freely. So I would teach one lesson, but get beamed into thousands of classrooms. You know, it was just phenomenal. I couldn't have solved that myself without COVID happening to pave the way, as it were. Amazing. Yeah, I'm that stupid that honestly, Didio, it's, it's I can have solved that myself. <laughs> Good change. I mean, go, going online now uh, with with your your company, the training space, it really has changed your 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 sense of happiness and who you are. And I think it's great that you're you're helping pupils and you're helping you're helping parents and you're helping teachers. So there's a and you and you're helping your animals by being there to stroke them. Um, it's a it's a really really good thing. Um, what I want to just move you on quickly to Jane is uh is just telling us about about your your teacher squad that I've I've read a little bit about. Where's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the um, teacher squad. I mean, this is it is actually fascinating. Um, and it's really, it's really, it, it, it is a thing, it exists, but it's also beyond being a thing and it's beyond me, but um, it, it's almost like my work became the catalyst for it to emerge. And it's, it's actually quite difficult to describe, but I'll do my best. Um, the teacher squad grew out of our community gatherings in COVID. And for me, it became more than just, let's say a Facebook group. Um, we, it became a space uh, because teaching is so high pressure and there's such a blur in the boundaries that we talked about between work and home. And you can really genuinely get burnt out very quickly. And I think a lot of teachers are suffering from team poverty where they look like they're in a team in their school, but sometimes the cultures are wrong in school or um, you don't find your tribe in the school. And I think the teacher squad at the time when uh, the government was giving us really unclear messaging about what was happening uh, and how we should navigate things uh, and 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 in a in a 
glimpse actually doubling expectations for teachers you have to do online learning and you have to be in school and just it's like we're going to double your workload in an instant uh let me tell you the teaching profession yeah. was at breaking point before they put that layer in and i think the squad became a place for us together uh to save each other because many of us were at breaking point and, and was, that, uh, was that sorry jane was that something that you was that something that you set up jane <laughs> well i didn't set it up i didn't set it up but i became like the the mascot for it and uh I, it was it it's beyond me Guru. it's 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 beyond me um it's it's led yeah. from the ground upwards and uh it's it's led by teachers on the ground it, it's not me but i became the face of it because i think people saw in the work we'd done is that actually the only way teaching will survive is if we stick together if we show solidarity and we have a togetherness and one of the and that is why uh so it became bigger than anything i was doing hashtag teacher squad became a call out on Twitter, a call out on Facebook to show others we are not alone. We, we can only get through this if we stick together. And on another level, uh, and we coined this phrase that, uh, which is probably the reason why I did become the face of it. It was this phrase, professional love. You know, we need to show professional love to each other, you know, professional love for our jobs, professional love in how we look after each other and support each other. Um, and the squad is a place where we all understand the pressures of teaching. And it is a place for professional hugs and whatever form that is, if that hug is in the form of I've got some planning here that you can adapt. Or if that professional hug is, have a look at my display. Do you think that's a good idea? You can borrow it if you want. Down to, hey, if you give me this bit of maths um, stuff, I'll give you this bit of geography stuff. It was like a swap shop. I think actually, Andy, some people were using the teacher squad like a dating agency and there might have been a bit of risque sort of excitement happening as well. But hey, that it was all beyond me. And but it was about belonging. And if happiness is not about belonging, I don't know what is. Awesome. That's great. Uh, what I really like is the fact that, uh, you know, even, the, even though it, it wasn't something that you started, that you, again, got your enthusiasm and involvement because it was an educational focus and you you're quite happy to to help people and to 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 show them what you knew about the educational profession and give your input what i'm going to move you on to quickly jane is um i know that you've written a few books i read i read about you in an article quite recently in the guardian and i i I read about how you've written a few a few of your own books. Can you tell us a little bit about those and how we can maybe access them? 
Yeah, um, yeah. The the Guardian was really exciting actually because um, it was uh, you know linked to you know the Saturday article. It was almost like bigger than just being in the education spread. So we were really uh, proud of that that we were kind of reaching this wider audience and um, and. Actually, uh, just a little bit about my books. They're, they're all about how to be a better teacher. You know, how can you be the best teacher that you can be? And they look at the science of teaching and learning, and it's about sharpening the craft of teaching so you can make learning happen. So all of my books are like how to. And um, I've got a book about reading, how to be a good teacher of reading called Hooked on Books. I've got a how to be a better teacher of writing, and that's called The Right Stuff. And my latest edition, and honest, when I say truly sort of bowled over with, um, you know, truly honoured that we have now since the launch of the spelling books, and that's like how to be a better teacher of spelling. You know, we're in top 10 Amazon education charts since its release. And um, wow. it's just, I, it's just stunning, you know, it, but that is because we, what makes us happy as a teacher? We wanna be the best we can. And I have dedicated my life to read the research, read the tricky stuff, distill it, synthesize it, and give teachers a, a clear navigation pathway through it. And a lot of my work has ended up being about, especially when you, when you say, you know, a school is losing the will to live, they're in a category, they're getting mixed messages. My life's work has been about, right, what are we trying to do here? And can we capture it on one piece of paper? Because we do not need, you know, the, the 400 page, you know, article. We need clarity. And when once you start trying to say, let's get our thinking that crystallized. So all my books, all my books, at the heart of them is a rainbow. And that rainbow is on one piece of paper. It's like, no matter how lost you are, no matter where, you, where you're gonna go next, return back to that one piece of paper. Cause locked in that piece of paper is the powerhouse of the most important things you need to do as a teacher to make children learn better and um, all my books are about the wonder of words the fascination uh, of how we cultivate this well it, it's it's about words are prized and precious possessions and the more possessions you have the richer you will be and where will you be richer in communication and that's what life's about community connections you know and we've all been in life when we've been lost and that is when we feel vulnerable and you feel you can't trust people and you feel it's you know edgy and difficult and we have to um in those what will get us out of those spaces words it, it's it's about communication oh, jane 
can I can I ask you about the, your your writing? You actually writing process uh, for for the for the two books, well, the three books that you wrote so far. I mean, that you have you got, have you got a method? Have you got like a best time to write? Um, have you got like targets? What counts? Um, how how is the process for you in terms of your own writing? Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, question. I'd love to say. I've got a shed like Roald Dahl and I go and sit in it and I smoke 40 fags <laughs> <laughs> and I have this sort of isolated space to um, kind of conceive and write um, and it's, it's not like that. And uh, the truth is um, what it is, I have four children and my house is hectic really hectic uh so we've got the dogs we've got a couple of cats we've got kids um it's um, and then we've got the kids partners who are not girlfriends or boyfriends they're just friends and then we've got there might be a girlfriend or boyfriend now they're not we have got sort of this crazy busy home and, and that's not easy to write in yeah. i cannot write unless the place is absolutely silent and I need to really tune into my internal writing voice I actually get really disturbed you know some people can zone out like a doorbell ringing or kind of uh plates moving in the kitchen or whatever I can't do that so when I need to write I need to escape and I also escape with industrial, um, you know, uh, builders when they're like uh, cutting up the road, industrial drills. I have to have headphones on because I have to have complete silence so that words um, are really perfectly crafted and the editing and the editing that goes in and I cannot write on screen. I'm old school pen and paper and... I've got to do it as a as an enormous run as well because I care about um, my writing voice and I think if you have like a two day break, it you you suddenly you break the tone. So I actually leave home. That's the truth, yeah. and I book myself into. Uh, a local hotel not too local because you can come back and try and have a quick snog with your husband and it's all it's all distraction don't do it it's got to be far enough away that you can't run back for a couple of hours uh, and essentially I um, lock myself off from the world and from sounds and write any particular time of the day you you think you're better writing or it doesn't matter to you Oh, um, it's it's not like that, Didier. I literally I get up at half five when I'm writing, and I and I go till about eleven at night. Yeah, it's a it's an enormous uh, long trail like that. Yeah, okay. yeah, and it, it can, over days till it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> what about what about the books that you read? Uh, have you got any? Any suggestions or books that actually kind of um, change your way of thinking in your life or kind of mm. made an impact on you uh, in your life? Yeah, I'm, um, that's a really good question. Um, I'm a bibliophile, I collect books and um, my whole life has been about books, but 
my book collection. Um, I've got a teacher centre actually uh, in Northamptonshire and uh, we open it up to have training events there and um, I collect books particularly children's books and, and they are all at my centre. It's an enormous library in fact uh, but very carefully chosen. I don't just buy every book. Um, I think about it uh, very closely and uh, for me children's books are so poetic and beautiful and I see books like Leaves on a Tree um, and you know this this library of leaves you know when we when we we pick a book we, we pick a leaf from the tree uh, and we leaf through it and, and once that kind of lived moment of reading has happened we kind of go beyond the words and, and you're kind of left with the best books with like a kind of a leaf skeleton in your mind and they change you and, uh, you know, if you think about a leaf skeleton, you know, when, when the leaf dies, but that's kind of what's left, that sort of etching on your mind is when a book has really worked because you can't stop thinking about it. And I, I say a, a haunting, but I mean that in the most positive way. And I, uh, there's so many, so many books I could talk about, but uh, recently I've been talking and I've come back to this book again. It's a, it's a children's book and it's called The Gardener by Sarah Stewart. And it's a, it's a book in letters and it's a book written, uh, Lydia Grace is writing these letters and it's set in 1930s depression America. And Lydia Grace uh, lives with her grandmother, but her grandmother is getting poorly and um, the family are rallying round, but um, Lydia Grace it has been sent off uh, to New York uh, to just, just for this moment, uh, to go and live with Uncle Jim, who works in a bakery in New York. And the letters leading up to the leaving, oh, this is Lydia Grace writing to her grandma, I don't wanna leave you, are you gonna be okay? And she helps her pack and, and Lydia, comes from a farm with her grandma. She only knows about vegetables and flowers and growing your own. And they talk, uh, look, when you, get, when you get to Uncle Jim's, you can carry on your love of gardening. And uh, she gets to Uncle Jim's and Uncle Jim in New York, in the bakery, uh, she lives on top of the bakery. There's just concrete and gray everywhere. And she makes this journey on her own and she gets there and Uncle Jim doesn't even smile. And it's like, you can just fit like Lydia Gresikin, why have you done this to me? And the letters that go back to grandma. And then we read the letters that grandma sent. And she is determined. She can't use any of her skills about gardening, but she's taught to bake bread. She has to learn a new skill. Uh, but over time, she tries to make Uncle Jim smile and she decides to grow a roof garden in secret. And, and on his birthday, it's completely secret. She does it over months and months and months. And she tells Gran in the letters what she's doing. She invites Uncle Jim up and, and we can't predict what's gonna happen. You know, he's gonna see those flowers and he's gonna smile. And why I love this book so much, so deeply 
is she takes Uncle Jim up to the top of the bakery, to the roof garden. And you know what? He doesn't smile. Oh. I know. And uh, you just can't cope with it. You can't cope. However, however, Gran gets better and Lydia returns home. And at the train station, when Uncle Jim has to say goodbye to Lydia Grace, he can't stop crying. So he doesn't smile, but he cries. And, oh, they just, books change you. And, um, but what I read for me as an adult, I actually, I write how-to books, but I read how-to books, you know, here just beside me, you know, How Language Works by David Crystal. Um, I read research papers. And if there's any teachers listening, you know, you must read the great teaching toolkit. You know, that is an evidence review of, you know, how we can reach our potential. But I'll tell you what, if you, the thing that always sticks with me and it, or it really does make me laugh, um, Daniel Goldman's work on emotional intelligence, he, he ends that book. His big kind of finale in that book is about happiness, actually. He says, what is going to make us happy? It uh, doesn't matter how old you are. Um, doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter where you live in the world, what ethnicity you are, the two things that humans cite, you know, there are two, what are they? Number one, sex, and number two, socialising. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's quite handy to know, isn't it? And, and where's this party at? Where's the party? <laughs> Clearly, James. Uh, yeah. What you what you what you offer and all your research and what you've written, it can offer people greater happiness and bring greater happiness to parents and their children. I'm going to ask you, what would you say are your three top tips for parents to help themselves, maybe their children with educational aspirations, whether that be primary, secondary, going on to college or university. Can you think of three three tips that you you could give to people? Yeah, um, most definitely. Um, I don't think parents need a lot of tips. To be fair, um, you know, it's really personal, and uh, you know, parents know uh, what they're doing. But I think for me, when as a parent when things have gone wonky, uh, I think you do have to reflect on, on, a, on a personal level uh, and some of the things that uh, might have gone wrong or actually uh, sometimes are really small, uh, little tweaks of interventions with your own kids that can help it get back on track again. And for me, top of the charts, whenever family life is, is going a bit off piste, I think we've got to reflect about sleep health and sleep hygiene. And we know basically what is sleep hygiene? Well, what is dirty sleep? Well, it's drenched in blue light. There's no routines. It's at different times, you know. And what I say to kids a lot is, I don't just mean my own kids, but kids in classrooms, you know, we are not giraffes. Giraffes can cope on 1.9 hours a day, you know, 
children, you know, the children I work with, you know, are really young. And I'm talking about children now in reception in early years. You know, they need between 10 and 13 hours sleep. You know, six to 12 year olds need between nine and 12. And teenagers, you know, are, are coping on six and a half. They're not coping, let me tell you. You know, they would need between eight and 10 hours to be productive the next day. And the other thing is, this is quite a lot of time, but it, when you say it, it doesn't sound it. And I often, you know, when we say get your sleep hygiene right, that is no screens, no TV, dark and quiet. It takes on average seven minutes to fall asleep. But a lot of people can panic in that seven minutes. But I think it's really handy that people know it's seven minutes because that is longer than you think. But that is the yeah. average and healthy amount of time it takes to fall asleep. Um, then the other thing I read recently in the Science Daily was creative people need more sleep. I'd argue it might be the other way around. When we have more sleep, we're more creative. So I think that could be, you know, <laughs> you could contest that. But that to me is top of the chart, sleep hygiene. Um, that's, secondly, that's yeah, go on. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm just sorry. I was just saying that's brilliant. I was taking it all in myself. I need, I definitely need more sleep. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I think we, I think we all need more sleep, you know, uh, there's all this, you know, uh, we all do it, That's how we, how brains stay healthy and, um, it, it, it can be so disruptive and actually that other thing, you know, if you have a bad night's sleep, you're going to eat crap the next day, aren't you? You know, you have a bad night's sleep, you're grumpy, you cause problems for yourself down the line and, uh, We've just got to really see it as a, a wider part of how we navigate the world in a, in a healthier and happier way for definite. You know, sleep is, so many things can be solved by a good night's sleep, I think. Um, the, the other thing um, I think is this sort of uh, less about parents having to read to their children. It's more about, Yes, reading is critical, absolutely critical. And, um, you know, reading makes us more empathetic. And I think that's really fascinating. Uh, but actually, um, I think the subtle difference and message to everybody, if you are a parent, is make your child a responsible reader, make them responsible for what they seek out in their reading and that involves things like no reading snobbery read trash read classics read poems read what you love what you're interested if you're interested in rugby read about that if you're interested in uh, crystals read about that read what matters to you and 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 learn about things that are of interest and and unlock it and it's like Stephen King says you know books are a uniquely uh, portable magic and, and reading is about a journey of the mind and for me personally uh, in my life when I've felt really lonely um, and it's interesting because schools can be really busy places but actually very lonely if you haven't got your mates or you haven't found the you know if you haven't found a school with the right culture and it's in the folded pages of a book actually you can make friends with paper characters until you actually find I always find that actually when I feel really connected with real honest friends 
um, like my reading goes down. Um, but actually, uh, and when I feel a little bit lonelier, my reading goes up. But I think actually what you've got to do is find balance by kind of keeping your reading going so you've got something to say to your friends otherwise you just keep repeating yeah. yourself you know i think you're right and i'm just gonna i'm gonna try and uh just move to a close jane because i know that we've taken up a lot of your your time this morning i'm really grateful and thankful for that i think you've, you've given us some really great advice and i just want to try and close on this this thought of do you do you feel that that everyone or anyone is capable of making change because you've made a lot of changes in your life to bring you some 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 happiness. And do you think that's everyone's capable of doing that? Um, is that is that a possibility for everyone? And I'm thinking about you know finding motivation or changing their lives or problem solving or creativity mm. as we've discussed. Mm. I, I mean, it's the question is enormous isn't it that sort of road it's a massive question yeah it's it's massive and um for me if we think about the road to happiness and and how we seek it how we nurture it how we find it you know the opposite to that to me is is kind of loneliness and loneliness can be found in busy moments and I, th I think it's I think I don't know even know where I read it someone was saying like loneliness is as bad as 15 cigarettes a day um but wow. also as an ex-smoker um the one thing I actually miss about smoking is when you have a cigarette when I used to smoke I would sit down and have kind of a cup of coffee and a cigarette. And what I realized when I stopped smoking is I, I stopped the quiet sitting down. And actually it's those moments of reflection that you, it's in those quieter times, you can sort your thinking out a bit like when I'd look at my mum and say are you listening and she says I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm planning I'm thinking and but, actually but we're, not, we're not encouraging the listeners to smoke are we Jane oh well I don't know <laughs> when I hit 85 I'm gonna buy a maybe, 20 maybe Barbara just, again maybe just to drink more coffee <laughs> yeah because that is good for us apparently uh yeah I think I think it's I suppose what I'm rambling towards is the um, you do need to slow down, personally reflect. And in that reflection, for me, the answer is weirdly, it is about you, but it's about you in other people, with other people. And happiness is about connection. And do you know what? That, that real connection doesn't happen until you can be vulnerable and let your guard down and let people in and you've got to let the veneer drop and you've got to start being really truthful and you know Stephen King who I admire it's such a shame I can't show more of Stephen King's writing to children obviously but he really understands truth in writing and I think that's why he's consistently a bestseller because that is about the world. When you come to the world and you are going to say, I'm going to be truthful. And by my life now, I 
I'm trying to at a point where I want to put a gloss on it, put a veneer on it, uh, put a bit of flavoring on it, put a bit of zhuzh on it. Um, I really am trying to navigate clear, closer, I suppose, having a, a more authentic life. And my, my forced new life, which is slower, um, has meant the sort of things I've done recently is I've been able to pot around a garden center with my mum while she tells me the names of flowers and how to look after them. I couldn't do that when I was on the M25. Um, I've wet myself laughing uh, with my daughters. And, and that, Andy, is another podcast when I'm on Davina talking about the plight of the menopausal woman. Uh, <laughs> but also, I've been able to go to a comedy night uh, with my husband, Ian, on a school night. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it's what is the road to I, I, love, I just, you know what? I love that bit about you saying just to go and look at flowers, those simple, simple activities, some those things that we we overlook in life sometimes. Um, I think that I think that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, again, I just want to say thanks so much for giving us your time. Hopefully we'll be able to come back to you because I know listeners are going to be really interested in in what you've got to say and i'm just going to pan over to didier didier is there anything else that you want to ask jane before we wind up no i'd like to thank her and i'd love to have her again on the show because i think we could uh, we could have carried on for a few hours but thanks jane for for turning up today it's been really fantastic yeah i'm a talker didier that's for sure <laughs> oh, it's, I'm been, a talker. it's been great but where, where can we find out about you uh you got a website out there what's your best well well, Didier, Google me. Um, um, I'll, I'll, you'll find me on uh, on a search. Uh, I've got two websites, actually. I've got a very teacher website that's called janeconstein.com. That's for teacher training, teacher planning. I've got another website that's really for the classroom called The Training Space. That's all teacher resources. But you find me on Twitter. You find me in the teacher squad. You find me on my YouTube channel. And... Um, I now have, uh, you know, my whole life was talking at teachers. And do you know what it is now that is just absolutely wonderful? I'm talking with <laughs> teachers. It is real. Our community is uh, so enriching. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I, and a lot of people know me for saying, and I mean it, and this, I don't mean it in a cheesy way. When we get to that point of that realness, it just feels to me like absolute heart burst. Awesome. Oh, thanks, Jane. It's been wonderful to speak to you. And I would wholeheartedly encourage people to, to search you out and uh, and definitely to, to look at your YouTube channel because I think there's a lot to learn from that. Once again, thanks so much. We're just going to close there and hopefully we'll, we'll have you back again at another time. Yeah, fantastic. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.